Today's podcast is sponsored by Pepper Boxing. Pepper Boxing is a guided workout that utilizes unique teardrop-style heavy bags to deliver the finest group workout in Nashville. The bags are filled with water, meaning they're easier on the joints while still providing great resistance for your training. Pepper Boxing pairs high-energy music with elements of interval training and weighted bar exercises for an invigorating, full-body workout. The unique circular layout ensures that you will never lose sight of the instructor or their guidance. There's no contact in Pepper Boxing's classes. They're not looking for a fight, just a great way to enjoy the physicality and release of boxing. Pepper Boxing, it's conditioning with a purpose. For more information, go to pepperboxing.com. Coming to you from the ugliest building in the Gulch, it's the Nashville Scenecast. I'm Steve Cavendish, the editor of The Scene. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate us and leave, leave us comments. We'd love to know what you think. We want to say up front thanks to Jeff the Brotherhood for our intro music. It's a song called Diamond Way from the We Are the Champions album. You can buy it wherever good music is sold. Today on the podcast, we talked to Paul Kaharski, who spent the last two decades covering the Titans for the Tennessean and ESPN. And though he spends a few hours every day delivering his opinion on sports for 104.5 The Zone, he's a Columbia Journalism School grad who, first and foremost, has been a journalist. So when huge cuts came to ESPN this year, Kaharski was forced to make some hard decisions about his career. Instead of signing on with an established outlet, he started his own site where readers could pay him directly for his news and views. It's a growing trend as the revenue models behind traditional journalism continue to be disrupted. I talked to him about launching himself as a brand, the state of sports coverage, and what he thinks of this edition of the Titans. Thanks for listening. Paul Kaharski, thanks for coming in, man. I appreciate it. Nice of you to have me. This is right around the corner from the radio station that I've never been. So let's start at, at kind of the beginning of Nashville for you. And beginning of Nashville is... Uh, you were hired to cover the team, but their first, but their last year in Houston. Yeah, from here. So I had just covered the Raiders, who were doing pretty much the same thing. The Raiders lived in Los Angeles for their first year in Oakland, and they commuted. Uh, and so when I went out there, the Oakland Tribune automatically had a new spot, and they figured, here's how we make the most of it: we'll send our new guy and to live in Los Angeles, and he'll just commute up uh, to Oakland for games as opposed to what every other paper was doing in a very competitive market where they were sending somebody down for a Wednesday, Thursday at, at least. Um, so uh, the guy who hired me got fired in a scandal. They laid off his five most recent hires. Tennessean was looking. I called and I said, look, there's one guy in the country who just did what you're looking for. And then I, I got the job and, and ventured the same way again. So I went and lived in Houston, made no effort to have a social life, knowing it was going to be a year, covered the team, got to know all the people, and then covered the legal wrangling getting out. And uh, Frank Sutherland and the people that hired me at the Tennessean had no clue that people like Jeff Fisher and Don McLaughlin uh, were going to be around as long as they were. Stuart Spears, people like that in the front office, still around. And so I really had a, a leg up, and the Tennessean had a leg up. They gave you a huge advantage coming back up here. Yeah, it was uh, it was very helpful at the beginning, and then uh, very exhausting at the beginning too, <laughs> because we had the 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 year in Houston, 
the commute to Memphis, uh, the year at Vanderbilt, and then the, the big payoff, you know, was big for me, like it was big for everybody else. I, I was getting read to a degree I'd never been read before when they went to the Super Bowl. How old were you? Come on. My, now you're going to make me look bad <laughs> math-wise. I'm 48 now, and that was, what, 1999. So you could, you could, this is something you could do in your late 20s. It was something I could do in my late 20s. I don't know if it was something everybody could do in their late 20s. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, I had a willingness to go wherever work took me. That was kind of the commitment I made. Sure. I said if I didn't cover the, the U.S. World Cup in some way, shape, or form in 1994, I was going to consider what my different path was, and I ended up helping out on some of those games for the New York Times because I was a, a clerk in the Washington Bureau. But I went from 1993 until I got here in 1997 – from Jersey to D.C. to Los Angeles to Oakland to Houston to here. Young single sports writer. Young single sports writer. I got an offer to go to the Palm Beach Post not too long after I was here, and I remember my parents actually telling me it was okay not to take it, even if I thought it was better for the career path based on how much moving I had done. And I listen, I could have wound up in Minneapolis or who knows where. I was going to go wherever the job took me, so I really hit the jackpot in terms of landing in uh, in a city like this. What was that uh, for a lot of for a lot of Titans fans don't really remember sort of that last year in Houston was kind of a kind of a wasteland for the team. The, the attendance was nothing or It was something. terrible. You could hear you could literally hear uh some of the stuff from the huddle at certain games. Um, and they, I remember there was like a kitchen fire up in the Astrodome press box. <laughs> so everything kind of smelled like smoke and they didn't make a huge <laughs> effort to, to clean it up. So like that was the smell that it had the rest of the year. Um, it was, uh, I don't think no matter what the Raiders go through now or what the Chargers are going through now, I don't know that it could ever match that. Yeah. The, at least the, at least the Raiders and, uh, Chargers are playing in somewhat modern facilities. At well, this you could argue that about the Raiders facility currently because it's the same as it was when I was covering <laughs> the Raiders in 95, but uh, they've got a rabid fan base whether they're right. on their way out or not. So you spend a decade essentially at the Tennessean. 12 years, I think. Um, and then move over to ESPN. What was it like jumping to ESPN? Was it was that because it was kind of a new thing? You were going to be attached to the website more than you did some TV, but, but yeah, it was thrilling because we kind of got to help create it. So there were eight of us. They put us on the divisions. So I always thought, I still think it's impossible to cover the whole league. Like some of these guys do. I mean, you know, Schefter does it, but I still think if you ask Schefter who the, you know, least known offensive lineman on every team was, if he could name that guy, it's because he's a savant. Um, you know, uh, he could probably tell his contract details and his agent and all that stuff. But uh, you know, covering one is felt small, but covering thirty-two felt huge. And I think ESPN was smart to say, "Hey, we could have somebody cover four at a time." Those teams are all interacting with each other on a regular basis, and they brought us in and and told us to kind of help invent it and create it, and it was very gratifying. They also hired a bunch of self-starters, and they never put a cap on us. You know, they said, do what you feel is within reason. Well, we're a bunch of competitive. It was all guys at that point. We're a bunch of competitive guys, and sometimes 17 or 20 posts in a day felt like it was in reason. Wow. And the initial philosophy there was feed the beast, give people you know, nonstop stuff. Later, management came to realize that some of that stuff was only being read by a couple hundred people and it wasn't worth the time investment to kind of 
change the focus. So that was four or five years. And then in conjunction with them going from the eight to the 32, which was kind of awkward because we felt like, hey, we showed you it could work with eight, which showed you it could work with 32. And now you're reducing us all from four to one, uh, a little bit of a back step anyway. But that was right in conjunction with the midday 180 being created at the zone. So uh, it was kind of offsetting for me, and I had the best of both worlds. I was the national Titans guy uh, and, and the local authority uh, on the radio. So it, it was a beautiful combination. How much radio did you do before, the, before you were on uh, 104.5 on a regular basis? Well, uh, you know, I was on 104.5 when uh, Wake Up Zone started with Mark Howard, uh, Kevin Ingram, and Frank Wycheck. When that started, they, you know, they were trying things out, and they had me on a couple times, and I liked it, and Wycheck was like, hey, let's have them on weekly. And then that was twice a week, and then it was three times a week. I remember they ran a promo where uh, one of my first visits, I said, hey, you guys are giving me something to listen to for the first time since I've moved out of a Howard Stern market. <laughs> Um, so before that, I'd just done the typical beat writer guest stuff once in a while in town on a lesser station and more often, uh, you know, with an upcoming opponent or when the Titans uh, or the Oilers were in the news in some fashion. And I was I was called by somebody else. But I think radio, I mean, if you have a decent personality and you're a good journalist, radio is easy. Right. So so up until this year. Uh, you had been sort of living this split of ESPN online and 104.5 uh, during the middays. And, and what was your – your time slot has been – 12 to 3 always. 12 to 3 always. ESPN has gone through a number of sort of shakeouts here in the last couple of years. There was a big one this year. You were on a, you were on a contract, uh, and they came to you and said, what? We're not renewing. You know, they had three month notice, uh, three months ahead of time. They're supposed to tell you yes or no. Um, I don't know anybody that had never gotten there. I don't know anybody who had ever not gotten his or her option done. It was kind of almost a given that uh, that they would exercise the options. They might be done with you at the end of the entire contract. But I was probably one of the most expensive of the 32 because I had been there at the beginning and I came in with a decent level of experience. So certainly part of it was, was fiscal. Um, my replacement's half my age and well, that's what it, that's I would what think it, less than half my salary. That's what I was going to say. Your, your replacement is not long out of college uh, and likely not making money. No, but also listen, I've got a strong personality and it worked great with the people who hired me and some editors I had. All of those people have, have moved out of the vertical, if you will, that was above me. And I, I'm not naive to the idea that the people who took over for those people weren't as big of a fan of my outspokenness. And while I may have made an effort to control it as best I could, um, it's, not, it's not a strength. And look, it, you know, I kind of wrestled with the thing. The thing that makes me good at the job is a thing that might make me a little bit more difficult as an employee. I probably didn't do well enough on that front, but I don't think they did well enough to try to meet me halfway either. And I feel very unburdened by not working for a few of those people uh, who clearly it was a struggle with on, on both sides to, to some degree. ESPN had a bunch of cuts in the spring. Would, did they let you know before or after those cuts that you well, had? it was just uh, 
somewhat lucky timing, quote unquote, lucky timing. So I was notified on a Friday. Um, I put out, was proactive and put out word on a Monday and those layoffs were that Tuesday. Wow. So I was automatically packaged, uh, with, with everybody else, which, um, you know, was, was a good thing in terms of the narrative pertaining to my being on the market. What did you feel like without sort of, uh, a, an, a tethered journalism job? Uh, not that, not that you don't do journalism for, for the radio, but, uh, you had been working for newspapers and for a large sports journalism company, and then all of a sudden, nothing. Yeah, well, not, none of my emotions were, oh, my God, I don't have a tethered journalism job. Uh, <laughs> they were, oh, my God, I've lost, you know, I've been in a very safe place with two jobs, and now I'm down to one. Uh, I had a very, you know, good paying job with good profile, and uh, I'm out. You know, it's embarrassing, and... uh uh, disheartening and uh, you know all, all, you run through all kinds of uh, emotions and then uh, you know w- what's what's next uh, what's next what's next what's next did you see it coming you know a lot of us thought it could happen in, in maybe the so this was I think April 22nd that I found out I think in February and March a lot of us uh, were talking amongst ourselves about the possibility of it happening and uh, kind of talked ourselves out of the idea that would happen. And in the instance of all of those guys, they were right. <laughs> uh, so, no, I, I didn't see it happening. And but I wish t- I had had more foresight, if only to uh, prepare my wife. The, the timing on it was really weird from, uh, from a journalism standpoint because you were getting ready to walk into a draft. I was getting ready to go to Bristol for an annual meeting. I had a Sunday morning flight. And when I talked to Mary Byrne, the, the high-ranking boss who delivered the news on Friday, I said, well, that's going to make for an awkward summit. And she said, yeah, you shouldn't come. <laughs> and I thought about leaving that charge on the books, uh, a r- <laughs> rather expensive flight to Hartford, but I went ahead and canceled it, so they got some money back. Did uh, What'd your wife say? Oh, I don't remember specifically. And it was an awkward weekend because I had uh, a niece and her boyfriend in town. And so I didn't want that to be the focus. So I did this kind of let's pretend nothing happened and not talk about it until after. But I mean, she was surprised because I hadn't told her it was coming, you know. So sure. uh, I think the same as any spouse would have had in terms of being sympathetic to my plight. But immediately worried about what our uh, our books were going to look like. And she's a finance person with an accounting background, so I think it wasn't long before she dived into uh, her spreadsheet to calculate what exactly it meant. <laughs> when did you decide, I am going to be paulkaharski.com? Well, I mean, there's, there's not a big market in the profession, period. And there's especially not a big market for a 48-year-old white guy, if we're being (laughs) frank. Um, I talked to as many smart people as I could get around in town. I'm not a big networker in that regard, so a lot of them were kind of cold call, friends of friends. Um, And they just, the one repeated thing that kept coming up was like, you're already a brand. You know, you're already a brand. You're already a brand. Um, You know, I didn't have super serious conversations with any, you know, mainstream established website. I had some conversations about, you know, some freelance opportunities. I had one offer um, to join somebody else, and I'm already doing better than I would have done 
had I taken that offer. So even though I, uh, I have moments where uh, I'm filled with great fear about whether it was the right thing or whether uh, it, it's going to be able to sustain itself over a longer run and all of that stuff, uh, I think of that and say, well, you know, it took you only a couple months to be doing better uh, than, than, than for it to forecast better the first year than the one thing that you could have could have been doing for somebody else. How long did it take you to organize everything into a website and put yourself out there? Well, you know, it's not like I did everything and then launched. I kind of once I found my web guy. Uh, and here's a big shout out to Brent Peacher out of Lexington, Kentucky, who I will give you his phone number if you're interested in any kind of website. He's fantastic. You know, once I decided I was going to do it, I, then it was a nuts and bolts thing. So I got to have a functional site where I can put stuff up in relatively easily, you know, and uh, he he was able to build me a site in very short order, like uh, uh, less than two weeks, I think, like a basic site that looked like the site was going to look and then another month where it was fully functional and there's still things we're ironing out uh, along the way, but I like the look of it and it's simple and I think it's easy to navigate. Sometimes it'll take you two clicks to get where you want to go instead of one, which would frustrate me as a consumer. So (laughs) I understand people uh, paying to be on there. Don't love that part of it. But I think, the core of the people who are with me so far are willing to endure stuff like that because they're they're a beautiful combination of wanting to hear what I have to say and wanting to support uh, a journalist like me in the current climate where this may be the way things are going and they respect that, acknowledge it, and want to contribute to it on the front end. When we talked at the start of the season, you said something that I thought was really interesting to me. It was that I don't have to reach every Titans fan, but I can, I think the term you used was was super serve, uh, a core of fans who will then pay for that content. Yeah, I am definitely not reaching every Titans fan. I, I can tell you that. And that remains my goal. I uh, came up with bottled water for Titans fans. I understand some people are just vehemently against paying for stuff. Sure. I mean, and technically, are you paying for ESPN.com? No, but if you're a cable subscriber, you're, you're paying a lot more for ESPN.com than, than you think. Um, you know, uh, I think there's enough of a market of people who drink Starbucks or IPAs that know that $5.99 a month isn't much or a, a year's worth at the price of 11 months isn't much for what you get. And I'm away from the crowd, generally speaking. Uh, you know, I, I mean, some stuff I need to be in the crowd talking to a player, to a coach or whatever. Any chance I get to get away from that crowd, talk to somebody alone and give you something you aren't getting everywhere else. That's my major focus. And my major focus is to super serve these people who are in. I've written six or eight things that have been specifically in response to somebody asking a question or suggesting something. Most recently, uh, Logan Ryan on the radio, and we're with him every Tuesday, said, uh, you know, defensively, we like to survive the script. You know, the first 15 or so plays that are scripted by the other team's offense. We need to, if we survive that script, then we feel like we've got our footing. And somebody wrote me and said, what about defenses against the Titans surviving the script? That hasn't been very hard. Boom, there, there's an idea. Now, the guy gave me a hard time that it took me a week or 10 days. But it went on my list. I had some good conversations about that and came back with the piece off of that. 
that I might not have thought of on my own. I don't know if you have access like that to the other people who are covering the team who are going to turn around your idea when it's a good one. And uh, like I said, that remains the goal. I want to super serve the people who are members of my site. So if you're in my private Facebook group, which you get an invitation to, if you're on Twitter and you tell me you're a member and you ask a specific question like that, and, you know, I'm going to tell you if it's not feasible or not good or if I can tell you sure. the answer without talking to somebody. But if it sparks something, I'm totally going to do it. And I'm totally going to say, hey, this was, you know, hopefully I've, I've marked, marked a tweet with a heart so I could go find it and not just say, hey, this is from a member, but I could say, hey, this is from Steve. One of the things I found sort of interesting, uh, and full disclosure, I am a I am a paying customer at paulkaharski.com. God bless you, sir. I, well, I, I believe in paying for journalism, and and you're doing some really good journalism on the Titans. Thank you. The one of the one of the things I find, find found kind of interesting is what is publishing to you these days. It's dramatically different than from your days when you were working for a, a print newspaper. Your your deadlines are sort of all of the time, but the ways that you're publishing is you're responding via Twitter. You are doing these Facebook chats. Uh, you are responding during games to people, which I found, I have found sort of fascinating in that, that you, you look up and have sort of the bandwidth to be able to go, Oh, well this is X, Y, or Z. Do you think of yourself as publishing all the time? Or do you think of think of it as I'm just trying to serve this membership? Or do you think of it as, I need to be doing things in this radically different way than just writing 20 inches on a, you know, X story out there. Oh yeah. It being radically, radically different from that. That's old, old news. And I don't really think of it in publishing terms. It's just what the job is. If you want to super serve uh, customer base, you need to be accessible. Listen, when the Titans and the Bengals this weekend finished the first quarter, Virtually every person sitting in that press box will tweet out the score at the end of the first quarter. You don't need that from right, me. I, right. I, if you're asking me a question on Twitter, that's good. Or if I can watch the bench and see that so-and-so just limped off and maybe is talking to a trainer or whatever. And I'm not saying I get everything. But you don't need the score at the end of the first quarter from me. I can't believe all those guys are giving you the score at the end of the first quarter. If you care what the score is at the end of the first quarter, you're watching the game. But that's the thing is your audience is you're, you're having the same experience. Now, yours is in a press box and there's maybe on TV or they may be down in down in the in the stadium. But you're having the exact same experience. I don't know why beat writers tend to do that. They do play by play also, which uh, I, I think I think you kind of fall into the habit of doing it. And you don't get away from it. I think some of them have bosses who want to see a certain amount of tweeting that shows off that you're there. And I don't, you know, listen, it's no state secret. It's better product. I'm a consumer of product of a lot of other things. I follow U.S. soccer. I don't want the guy to tell me that Josie Altador just missed the penalty shot. I want him to tell me uh, he saw Altador taking penalty shots earlier in the week and it wasn't a problem or that he thinks so-and-so should have taken it instead or whatever. Those are the things I'm equipped to tell you. I think it's much more interesting than repeating what just happened that you watched yourself. And frankly, I have a telecast on there, but not the sound. And I'm not always eyes on the TV set. A lot of times people on Twitter are telling me better than I can tell them what just happened. Who did he trip over there? You know, oh, he tripped over Klein. Well, somebody can tell me that before the replay comes on the CBS screen 
that's over my head. Or Mariota took a big hit against the Ravens early. CBS never showed a replay of it, you know. But the guy at home who has it on his DVR and tweets out uh, a, a, a piece of the video off of his TV screen, he's super serving me. <laughs> what, um, what's been the most surprising thing here you've learned since the season started? About the team or about the business? No, no, about the business. Um, and, and, and let me back up here a little bit. That's a good question. I don't know the answer. So you've, so you've got basically two classes of membership here. You have a five ninety nine a month uh, class, and then you have what you call the All-22. Starting 22. Starting 22. Tell people about what is that. What this is, is my huge failure to and look at the cavern there between five ninety nine a month and $100 <laughs> a month. My huge failure was not finding something in the middle, which I still hope to, uh, to fix at some point. But I would have to have an approving vote from all 22 of those guys. It's all guys, unfortunately. Not unfortunately, but I had uh, a woman who was interested and didn't jump when there was a changeover. Um, all 22. You get my cell phone number you, so you can text me a question anytime you want. You're in a text chain with all of us in a group me chat, which is pretty fun. And we've become pretty good friends through that. Um, four annual get-togethers a year. We just had the first one last Friday night. We had the back deck at Losers to ourselves. And uh, I probably started out too big with the guests because Taylor Lewan agreed to come out. So he spent about two hours BSing with this crew and telling stories. And we Off had, the record. We had a great time. Yeah, I mean, you know, he wasn't saying any. I, the smart procedure for somebody like that is not to say anything that would come back to kill you sure. if it got out. But yeah, it's far looser than he would be if he didn't, if I didn't tell him, hey, you could trust these people and we're talking without recording it and right. you know all of that. So four of those a year, uh, I'll play around to golf with you and your buddies uh, at some point during the year. Uh, we're in a pick 'em pool where we're competing against a coin flip that's kicking most of our butts. <laughs> um, you know, at this first one, I put together a little uh, gift package that featured a, a Orca cup with my logo on it. Um, so those guys are super, super served. They're also like the executive committee. If I'm thinking about doing X, uh, and wondering if I should or shouldn't, I, I kind of throw it out to them. Hey, uh, what do you guys think? And actually a few people have left and I've consistently had people coming in to fill it. And, uh, my executive committee suggested, Hey, instead of like picking between multiple people, if you have multiple people, let the market set the price. And so a few of these guys are now paying one fifty. Uh, a month because they wanted to outbid somebody else in in order to get in. I don't wow. know where I don't know what we started with. No, no, that that's course. great. Uh, so, oh, you used to ask what I'm most surprised by. I have so what an do answer you for that now? I'm most surprised by the things that surprise me. Like of that starting 22, I would have said, well, this is going to be the most significant thing to these people, and this will be second, this will be third. All of them love this group me chat, or all the guys. Not everybody's participating in it, but. You know, 15 of the 22 are in there regularly and have gotten to know each other as well as me. I never thought that that would be a, one of the chief elements of it, right? I thought, uh, I thought I'd have more advertisers on the site, like a uh, standard visual sure. ad that, that you could click through, even though, you know, and I, I've got big numbers, but those big numbers aren't all members. But the best advertising spots for me have been related to this Periscope slash Facebook Live that so, I do. So I flipped. So I flipped up uh, your your post game. Uh, I guess you, you did one at halftime of the Sunday night game last night. And there's yeah a, Monday night game. Oh, sorry, yeah. Monday night game. Sorry, we're taping this on a Tuesday. Uh, 
And there is a big row of Pickers Vodka. I guess that's set up in your office at home. Set up at my office at home, and I'll have something on the table with me when I'm at Old School tonight in uh, in Cool Springs. So, uh, well, actually, I'm not positive about Old School yet because they needed to get Pickers on their shelf. But the other <laughs> two bars where I've been regularly, uh, the Doghouse Saloon over here on DeMombrian and, and Neighbors in Sylvan Park, they have Pickers, and they have Pickers signage up all over the place, and uh, you know, so this very organically came to be when I having a Moscow Mule, which is my drink of choice. And the waitress asked me one time at Neighbors, what kind of vodka? And I said, what do you recommend? And she said, Pickers. And I said, I like Pickers. I like the local guy. They kind of like me, like a Nashville startup and everything. Yeah, absolutely. Give me Pickers. And at the end of the 45 minutes later, when I turned off my two iPads, there was a dude from Pickers there who said, <laughs> hey, I heard you talking about us. And we like what you're doing too. And let's maybe we can start a relationship. And and boom, there, you know, MDI construction emerged in a similar fashion to sponsor me going on the road, which well, that, is really was, a key thing. That was the other. Thing and these guys about. now are sponsoring the Periscopes and the Facebooks. And these three bars are, have been very generous in bringing me out there. I'm not drawing a crowd to come see me do these. But I'm advertising that, hey, when the game is on, you should come here. And I think it's helped them. I didn't think that that was going to be the big stream there. And I didn't think on a random Tuesday night I was going to occasionally have 7,000 people in there, which, <laughs> which I have. Usually it's more like 2,500 total. But How do you concentrate on the video chat part of it? Because uh, there's a certain amount of, I guess, ADD that's required in order to be able to toggle between these, these uh, questions that are coming in and... Uh, trying to make a coherent answer. and Well, I lose my train of thought plenty where I start to answer this question, then I see another one pop up, and I go, absolutely not on that, <laughs> and then I can't remember what I'm getting back to. But the people in there are pretty good at, at helping me stay on track, and I kind of like that. I'm not necessarily proud of it, but I'm the kind of guy at home that, you know, I'm on a computer screen in addition to a phone screen, in addition to having... Uh, serious playing or listening to the latest Howard Stern interview on my phone post game. Some guys get up from where most of us are sitting and go off to be somewhere quiet. I, I like to write kind of in the buzz of the, the press box. And so I think it just uh, it happens to serve me well. And I think that's part of why they've been reasonably popular is people kind of like how I am on there and, how I might interact with the with the waitress or or the dude who's giving me a funny look over my shoulder or or whatever, and now and again responding to the membership right so somebody raised uh, hey too much free and not enough private so I, I do private post game which is the biggest one of the week sure uh, in terms of content Monday night which is the second biggest one of the week in terms of we've just talked to Malarkey and I've had a chance to look at things and figure some stuff out. And then at halftime of the Thursday night game. So I do them out publicly Wednesday, I'm sorry, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. And they said, hey, how about um, you do something there where there's something for members only? So I don't know if I'm going to do it every one, but the other day I did the public one during which I teased, hey, I'm going to end this at a certain point, and then I'm going to restart. It's going to be members only, and I'm going to tell you something from a, a private conversation I had with Terry Rabin. That's a, that's a good uh, that's a good radio tease right there. Yeah. So I didn't see uh, a slew of new memberships out of that, but uh, we'll see. And maybe some of those public people get pissed off over it. I mean, I told one of the public guys who was riding me about not liking what I had to say or what I was writing, like, I'm only taking your criticism to a degree because I, I don't see you as a member. So I'll start ignoring you in here. If, if, if you want me to take your criticism seriously, 
well, I've got all these other hundreds of people who, uh, who, who rank way ahead of me. How many members do you have right now? Yeah, I'm not saying the number, and it's not for, uh, I don't know. I never sat down and had a meeting about it. I, and uh, I just decided that sharing the number would, to me, if people were impressed by it or not impressed by it or whatever, would say, I don't want it to feel like it minimizes the importance of anybody, no matter how big or small is it. That, everybody in that number is a big deal to me. And so lest somebody hear that number and go, wow, that's not very much. I don't want them to feel minimized by that feeling. What do you, uh, what do you enjoy most about the new, uh, about the new normal? Well, ESPN, you had to have something up by 7 a.m. most of the time, a very random time, 7 a.m. Eastern, because mm-hmm. Bristol happens to be in the east. Didn't make a lot of sense for the guys in Seattle <laughs> or, uh, or San Francisco or Oakland. Um, I post when I'm ready to, to post. Um, listen, I, I wrote in a mailbag on Saturday. On Monday, I bet you ESPN has very cookie-cutter midseason awards for every team. Boom, like clockwork. Everybody's played eight games. Here's a cookie-cutter post from everybody. They don't even really care what the words are in there. They just want to be able to say, here are 32 midseason report cards or MVPs or, or whatever. You're not going to find any of that from me. No, I'm not doing any, like, what Titan would make the best WWE wrestler. Never touching <laughs> stuff like that. Never touching anything like that that I don't think is cool or fun or interesting. And I think there are enough people out there who like the Midday 180 and the sensibility that I bring with Jonathan and Chad every day who, who like what I've written historically to – Defer to me on that. And once in a while, they'll say, a couple of people have said, hey, why don't you do a where are they now thing on some former Titans? And I very bluntly say, because I don't give a damn where they are now. <laughs> like, you know, where is Mike Archie now? I don't care. I, I really don't. I don't think you should care. I'll give you something else you should care about more than where Mike, Mike Archie is now. So, so let's talk about what I should care about. Uh, what do you think of these Titans right now? They're five and three. Uh, decent win over the weekend, even if they... Even if it looked like they were, the offense was going in kind of fits and starts. Yeah, I think we've gotten a little bit in too far into judging the quality of the wins, and I, I was a factor in this because the Cleveland game really pissed me off, and I, I wasn't taking that any wins a good win for an answer. That was a win to me. I don't think they're too common, but that was a bad win to me that exposed some flaws in a team that should stomp. Uh, a team like Cleveland and not give the Browns a a, a chance to feel like they're going to break through and get their first win. But I think they made a lot of adjustments off of that game that made them a better team against the Ravens. That's a close win too, but it's against a a better team, not a great team, but a better team. They're five and three and they don't seem, there doesn't seem to be a heck of a lot of buzz about them or faith in them. I say it's pretty encouraging that they're five and three considering all that has gone wrong for them. The quarterback hasn't played very well yet. Um, his number, The running game, which is, is kind of the foundation of the team, hasn't played that well yet. And, and the pass rush hasn't been very good yet. If, if I told you all of those things and that you're going to be without your starting quarterback for a game that you kind of choked on and lost in Miami, I think you would have taken five and three. And if you double up five and three, they're 10 and six, which is what I predicted, which should be a playoff caliber record for, for the people who are saying, yeah, but they're going to the playoffs and lose the first. That, that's not the point at all. Yeah, I fully expect them to go to the playoffs and lose the first game. That's the first step 
towards turning into a legitimate playoff contender. Is it a Super Bowl team? No. It's got a soft schedule ahead and a season finale at home against Jacksonville, who's probably the team it's contending with. Could be better. Should have won in Miami. Should be 6-2. and two. But uh, a lot of reason to think better ball is ahead and, and that they could still achieve the big goal, which is to play in the postseason. Did you, uh, did you think that Kevin Byard was going to be this good? Um, I, I did. Uh, I, I can't say I thought he'd have five interceptions in two games. I thought he would start to collect turnovers at some point because of what he did in college and because during training camp you could see his, his instincts on the ball. Uh, I think some of it's what's going on around him. And I don't want to in any way – Look, you take any interception you can get. Two of them against Cleveland were, were gimmies that sure. were very bad throws. But that's how you kind of get going on something like this. And so uh, it's it's great that he's playing like that. Now it's time for somebody else to get one. Does uh, this out-of-town announcers uh, mispronouncing the quarterback's name in Tennessee drive you nuts? Drives, drives me insane. Uh, it's Mariota, not Mariota, and uh, he's uh, look. He won a Heisman Trophy and uh, has become a good player in the league. People should know how to pronounce it. A lot of it's laziness um, from, uh, and, and I'm hoping that Tony Romo kind of resets the standard for what the color analyst, uh, what's expected of him, even if he's the fifth ranking CBS analyst. But those guys just mail it in uh, far, far too much for something that's the most important three hours of television. In a lot of cities, I don't think it's taken seriously enough, and that's that's on the executives at CBS and at Fox um, to to correct that. And I don't think it's important enough to them. That said, people will kill us because Greg Cosell, our best weekly guest, says Mariota, and we don't correct him. We say, look, he's a guest. He's given us good information. We're not going to spend all this time riding him. If you a fan call in or do it, or somebody on a telecast is doing it, then maybe we've got a double stain. I want to I want to circle back to one thing here at the end. Uh, you've been critical of the Tennessean and kind of Jason Wolf and Dave Ammenhauser and and some of the stuff that they've done over there. I don't want to necessarily get into that, um, but I do want to ask. You've done that job, uh, and you've had an outside perspective on what a beat writer at a daily newspaper uh, does now for ten years, or a little over ten years. My question to you is, what should I, as a reader, expect out of that beat writing gig? What, what, what's, what, when I pick up the paper or, or go to my phone or go to my screen, what, what should I be getting from a, from a really good beat writer? Uh, the it, number one thing is a head start on the nuts and bolts. All right, so he should be telling you about injuries, but not just about injuries, but he should have information on when people are coming back uh, from injuries or, you know, if somebody's expected to practice or not. More than Malarkey says. Right? Malarkey's pretty upfront about what's going on. But a beat writer should be tied in enough that he at least occasionally can tell you something you don't know about something like that. I don't mean to spin it and toot my own horn. I had on the Sunday before the Monday night game with the Colts that Mariota was going to play. I, I was fortunate to hit it right with the source right then, and I still can get stuff like that once in a while, but I'm not working that all the time. The beat writer should be working that all the time. There's no room for laziness on stuff like that all the time. 
there's 20 minutes of practice open. It's a stretch and an individual period out of which you don't learn a lot. I don't know how somebody whose job it is to cover the Tennessee Titans solely for the paper of record in the city wouldn't be at that 20 minutes every single time. And in this city, that person is not at that 20 minutes virtually ever. And to me, it starts with that. <laughs> you know, I want you to be omnipresent. I'm more omnipresent than that. And I'm on from 12 to 3 down the street here in front of a microphone. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that, that's, that's the beginning of it. Tell me a bunch of stuff I, uh, I, I don't know and dig deeper. And if you talk a lot about working hard, work hard. All fair. Mr. Karski? I, I really appreciate it, Steve. Your, your article early uh, was, was great for me and spurred some other coverage, uh, and it's, it's been very helpful. And anybody who's out there is interested uh, in the site, uh, please reach out to me on Twitter at Paul Kuharski NFL or on email pkuharski at gmail.com. I try to answer or, everybody. Paul, thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks, Steve.